This is the Confident Collective Podcast with your hosts, Christina Zias and Rayanne Langis, two plus-size models and body activists here to get real and candid about living your most confident life. Get ready for powerful conversations that will leave you laughing, motivated, and inspired. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Confident Collective Podcast for our month of fucking love. <laughs> for our month of love. <laughs> Dude, we, it's Christina, okay? And it's Rayanne. And we're excited because Christina and I had this epiphany a couple weeks ago. We were like, These, this is the most genius idea ever. The, the creative juices were flowing. Mm-hmm. This month, because it's Valentine's Day, is all about every episode we're putting out this month is themed in... Relationships and love. Love and relationships. Um, but don't be like, oh, I'm single. Eh. Girl, I'm single too. Yeah. And I'm going to, we're, we're, we're talking about it all. Mm-hmm. Sex, dating, relationships, all of it. Oh my gosh. I feel like everyone is going to learn so much. Yeah. And then <clears throat> just have fun too. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh. We have so many good episodes for you guys. I'm actually so, so, so excited. I'm really excited. Um, before we get into today's episode with a very, very special guest, Ran, do we have any exciting updates on your life? <laughs> I need to know about this guy you're dating. Is he from New York? From Staten Island? <laughs> I honestly, um, you know what's crazy? What I've been struggling with, which everyone's been like, "Ram, we need more dating stories." And I've been really quiet because in the past two years, I have never gone on more than four dates with someone because dates don't count after ten p.m. Like, it, I have seen someone for longer than that, but it's it went from like not the dating stage to just more of like a hookup stage, casual hookup stage, and it wasn't ever going to turn it into anything. Yeah. But I'm kind of seeing, and I'm just trying to balance like what I want to share because I don't want to like sabotage myself. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally So I'm kind of like just. Do you get superstitious at all? Like if you talk about something. I mean, I'm not superstitious, but I'm just thinking to myself like, okay, so like one guy I'm seeing, we've been on like five dates. Real dates. Real dates. And we'll probably go out again. But I'm also dating other people still, which I preach and I think is like normal. I'm sure he's dating other people still, but right. I do have this platform. I thought you were going to cough. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Christina's had a cough for three years and yeah. I thought she was going to cough. Where I had this platform where I was like, okay, if I was dating someone who had a platform and I had to hear and I cared about this person, like I'm not saying like, I'm like, oh my God. Like, I, I just am... I'm, I guess I'm just trying, this is a new unchartered territory for me, figuring out to be respectful of someone. Um, yeah. And I guess that's, that's where I'm at. I don't know if that made sense. Oh, it made sense. It made sense. So those are my, um, but I, I, I don't know what happened. Like, uh, I don't know if my Pluto line moved or something, but more men are interested in me in LA than I've ever had in my life. So I'm just enjoying that for now. Having some, having some fun. Um, But what about you, Christina? Okay. I have realized, I think we all know I'm a little unhinged sometimes, right? You? I, (laughs) I, you know, I, I hate the month of January. Technically my year doesn't start in a couple of weeks. But <laughs> your year started January 15th. No, no. And then I got you keep, sick. You keep pushing the start date back. It's February 1st. Okay. It's February 1st. Okay. But I will say something that I'm trying to be a lot better about, and I think I talked about this, is really enjoying things as they happen, really celebrating little milestones. Um, I think I've worked so hard to be uh, where I am professionally mm-hmm. that I have never really after I reached a certain milestone, after I re- like worked with the brand I wanted to work with, after I got paid an, an amount that I would like, I used to dream of getting paid. I never took a second to like be like, oh my gosh, you did that. Like, that's amazing. Um, and I think because of that, I've just like always chasing this constant hustle and I haven't really felt satisfied or fulfilled or like proud of myself in a way. 
that make any sense? Yes. Um, so I'm really trying to work on celebrating milestones, whether they're big or small. Um, yes. And being really excited for myself about, I feel like I, like, for instance, I just booked this campaign. I'm so excited about it. I have manifested this campaign. Wait, I want to know what it is. I can't tell. I'm, I'll tell you afterwards. Oh my gosh. Okay. And I'm so stoked about it because it's a brand I've been wanting to work with for years. I've reached out to this brand so many times. I love that. So many times. They never answered me back. <laughs> and Just following up on this DM here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now I'm working with them and I'm working with them in a really big way. And I'm so excited about, or even like Victoria's Secret. Yeah. I'm so excited to be working with Victoria's Secret this year. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to continue moving the conversation of body diversity and like size inclusion. That's something I feel so passionate about. And like even Victoria's Secret, for instance, like people are like, why do you work with Victoria's Secret? They've done like so much like fucked up shit. And I'm like, dude, Victoria's Secret is in almost every single mall in America. Do you know what it would have been like for me growing up as someone who is insecure in my body to see women in ads in lingerie being confident and sexy with a similar body shape to me as me? Like, mm-hmm. I think that would have changed my whole trajectory of like confidence in myself. Mm-hmm. So anyways... This is a tangent, but I'm really feel, I, I feel very passionate about my work right now. I love that. That yeah. makes me so happy. Is there really any um, thing you can share that, that besides this ca- big campaign, but that you can share that we should like hype you up and celebrate right now? Well, I think the Victoria's Secret thing is a big yeah, thing. That is amazing. Victoria's Secret. I'm like one of like nine people that they're working with for the entire year. So I think that's, that's incredible, exciting. Um, and I'm really with them. I'm really trying to move. I, I'm trying to work with them on a deeper level that's past taking Instagram photos. Yeah. I'm trying to have those conversations on like, how can we be more size inclusive? How can you include more plus size models? Like how, like all of this conversation. So it's more yes. than just like doing an Instagram ad. And I feel thankful that I have the ability to have a voice in this space mm-hmm. and that I'm trying to use it more than like posting photos. Yeah. And I sense. think that's amazing. And I think you should share that because I think that's incredible that you, I think you have a direct connection to, we are in a special situation as what we do in our job. We have a seat at the table with these brands mm-hmm. and you have a voice. And I think it's in so incredible that you're using this voice for yourself and for other women who are in larger bodies who may have felt alienated by them in the past. Now they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Now is you get to help be a change maker and have those conversations and change what younger girls see and, and, and it's how they see themselves. Thank you. And That's you amazing. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Oh. So it feels good to be like, in, I mean, I feel like I've always loved my job and been inspired, but I do feel like I feel like a deeper purpose right now. Oh, I love that. And makes I love you so that. happy. Thanks. I'm happy about it too. Oh, you're getting me excited, girl. Good. That's amazing. I feel like that's the energy I want. Yes. Pass it on. Mm, mm, mm. Um, okay. What are you, what are you obsessing with this week? Okay. Well, actually in theme of what I was just talking about. So Ray and I went to this event for Nest, um, Nest NYC, which is a home mm-hmm. fragrance company. And I am obsessed with the leadership there. Laura Slotkin, I believe that's her name. She is the founder of Nest NYC And she is just this radiant, inspiring woman. Like she like, I feel like I was attracted to her from across the room. Yeah. And you can tell when there's good leadership in a company. Everyone at this brand was so warm, so welcoming. But what I loved about her specifically, so she's been involved in like the home fragrance industry for like decades. She started a brand with her husband so many years ago. 25 years ago or something. Yeah, like almost 30 years ago. I think they sold it. Her husband went to work with the company. She took some time and then she started this brand on her own. And it is now one of the most successful home fragrance brands in the world. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. I was sitting next to Ray and I was like, Ray, do you think her daughter knows what a badass her mom is? And she was like, you're going to be like that for Nico. I was like, well, someone better tell him. Because I was like, I want to go over to this girl and be like, dude, your mom is such a badass. And I think I'm just obsessed with inspiring, powerful women. Um, 
yeah. And I just feel like motivated. She motivated me even more to like build a brand that's like bigger than myself. Yes. I could not agree more. It was, I think that's one of my favorite parts of the job we get to do is learning really like the, the ins and outs of these brands and meeting the people behind it. And it's really incredible. I, I feel very, very blessed and lucky to have a seat at that table last night. And yeah, like I, I love candles, but I honestly feel like I only want to support Nest now. Like, cause I, yeah. it's so, when you get to know the leadership behind the brand and like faces behind it, you find such a deeper connection. And I will say, this is kind of my obsessed with, she talked about how they really wanted to bring together a authentic group of individuals. And I have, I, sometimes with events, I feel drained after going and I feel, last night, we had the best time. We met the most amazing people. It was so, I just had the best time. I was like, incredible incredible um this one girl her name's maya her handle is uh black girls smell good she was going around the table we were like coming up with tiktok series for her she was like okay tell me what you're looking for in a scent and she was like had this incredible repertoire of scents and she would be like okay this is what i would recommend for you and it was just such a positive collaborative fun space to be in absolutely and it was amazing i did leave i, I was talking to the founder about my dating life and yes. things like that. And I went down and I went downstairs and I was like, fuck, did I overshare? Did I overshare? No, but she actually gave such good advice. She gave too. really good advice. And I talked to her about it this morning. She's like, no, we love that. We like so appreciate you being so open. Whatever. I was like, I'm in this professional setting and I'm no. like, listen, I gotta tell you. But we should, that's what I'm obsessed with. I just had a really great time and it was so fun getting connect, to connect with new people. Cause, because we haven't really done that in a long time. And you guys, I have to say, we met this couple. Oh my God, they're my favorite couple Who I've ever Who play met. beach volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> he has a beach volleyball volleyball team and we invited ourselves probably 10 times. I literally made so many plans with them. I was Did like, you- so we're going to double date on Saturday and then we're going to play beach volleyball probably- with you guys on Sunday. They're probably like, who are these crazy people? They probably think we're crazy, but oh, you know what's even crazier? Oh we yeah. Ju- we're sitting there at the table and her boyfriend, her name is Ashley, um, her boyfriend, Jackson, um, was, was sitting there. He's from, we found out he's from Colorado. And so we automatically bond over this Colorado thing and we're talking and he kind of looks at me. He's like, do you know a guy named, I'll just use a name, John White. And I'm like, why does that sound familiar? <gasps> oh my God. It was this guy I dated when I was in Denver last year. And he was the one who asked me if I was high on the first date. And he was the one who, I think I shared the story. I was like, dude, are you going to kiss me or what? Mm -hmm. And I just started laughing. I was like, what are the odds? I was like, honestly, if he tells you anything about me, just please take it with a grain of salt because I think I probably terrified that man because he was so soft-spoken and quiet and I was just like, not. But I was like, what are the odds that he knows this guy I randomly dated in Denver? Such a small world. Small world. He was dying too. He was dying. It was funny. Um, Another thing I'm obsessed with product-wise that I actually had from this event. You guys, I don't mean to be dramatic, (laughs) but I need you to go and order this Barefoot Dreams robe immediately, immediately. I literally slept naked with that robe on me. You know what? I didn't even try it on yet. I'm stunned. It is the best thing I've ever put on my body. I had no idea how badly I needed this robe in my life. And I will, I will be honest. I like Barefoot Dreams. Like I like their blankets, but sometimes I'm like, is it overhyped? Because I feel like every blogger during the Nordstrom sale, sale like- Post this fucking blanket. Yeah. Exactly. This robe is the most luxurious feeling on my body. I, it's the only robe you'll ever see me in it. I'm obsessed with it. Okay. I love it so much. We're gonna link it. Yeah. I re- I wore um, a size three, just FYI. Oh, okay. Good to know. There's three different sizes. Perfect. So make sure you know about that. It is just so great. I feel like Steve's going to try stealing it from me. I don't know if that's going to fit him. <laughs> I don't know either. It might. It Those might, it biceps might. are going to bust through <laughs> that barefoot dream robe. It is incredible. <laughs> I love it. 
Um, all right. The thing I'm obsessed with this week is this ginger lemonade. This is so random, but I have had one of these every single day for the past week. It's the brand is Vibes, V-Y-B-E-S. And I think it's an LA based brand. It is Los Angeles, California on the label. They're ginger lemonade. I hope, I think they're like a, a relatively new small brand. Um, I've had one every single day and I am using all of my willpower to not have another one for the day. Um, they're incredible. And is it sweet? No, there's no refreshing. There's no, like the ingredients. These are the ingredients, purified water, ginger juice, lemon juice, hemp extract, mag. Oh, there is stevia in it. That's fine. And a hundred percent LA vibes organically produced. I love that. So there's, yeah, but okay. So like it, it's amazing. It's not too sweet. I love it. I love me a good drink. My refrigerator is all drinks. Oh my gosh, mine too. Okay, wait, did I ever tell you real quick about my diet lemonade experience I use? No. It was was my sophomore year of college. For some fucking reason, we all decided we want to be super skinny before our formal. Oh God, this is so toxic. It's so toxic. No, it was so toxic. (laughs) Honestly, it was so bad. So for some reason, I forget whose idea it was. It most certainly wasn't mine, but I wasn't strong enough to be like, that's a bad idea. And I was like, oh my gosh, if all these skinnier girls want to detox for our formal, I I'm, most certainly have to do it. And it was like a crazy diet, um, crazy at the time. Like I remember Beyonce did it and like lost like 20 pounds in like a week or something. Like that's probably an exaggeration, but something like that. Damn. It was literally just um, water, agave, and cayenne pepper. And that's lemon. all you drank? No, that's all I ate for a week. Literally. So you guys were just... Starving ourselves and just drinking that. So, but the weird thing is, is that because of the sugar, the agave, like you actually like had a lot of energy and I guess you were staying hydrated. So of course, we all black out for formal <laughs> before we even leave our, our house. Literally. There's five of us, not a single one of us remember walking off our porch because we ate nothing for an entire week and then like drank like <laughs> gallons of alcohol. That makes to, me laugh. Like it, the whole thing was like just the dumbest. And honestly, when I look back on it, it was like kind of funny, but like also kind of sad. Do you know what I mean? The fact <laughs> that we, sad. the whole thing was sad. The fact that we thought we had to do this, the fact that we did it. The fact that none of us remember our formal because we all literally blacked out before leaving the house. It's just such like an early 2000s thing. Oh my gosh, guys. Don't do it. I feel like I accidentally black out if I don't eat dinner and then I have two cocktails. Yeah. Imagine like not eating for a week. Isn't that crazy? Oh my gosh. And what's so crazy is that when we did this, no one thought it was weird. No one was alarmed. Everyone was like, I can't believe you didn't tell me you were doing this so I could do it too. That was the energy around it. Wow. I am so happy times have changed. I'm so, I'm so happy, happy I have changed. I'm so happy times have changed and we are realizing that a lot of the stuff we did to be skinny, to try and be thin, was so fucked up. So fucked up. And so unhealthy. So unhealthy. All um, right. Should we get into today's episode? Yeah. So we are kicking today's episode, kicking our, sorry, month of love off with Dr. Viviana. I actually interviewed Dr. Viviana back in July and you guys loved the episode. We had so many questions. So we've been wanting to bring her back for a part two um, while Ray was here as well. If you don't remember, she's a, um, she's a doctor of marriage and family therapy, a licensed marriage and family therapist, a certified sex therapist, and president of the National Sex Therapy Institute. She's also a series staple on Lifetimes and Married at First Sight. Uh, on their new series, Unmatchable. And she's the author of the uh, Four Intimacy Styles, which we talk a lot about in this episode. She honestly just has so much wisdom on all things sex, relationships. And I think that she does a really good job at, I feel like she does a really good job at making a topic like relationships and sex seem simple in a way. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that, Ray? Mm-hmm. I learned so much in this episode. Yeah. And it was all your questions. So thank you for sending in your questions. We tried to get to as many as we could, but it was already like 45 minutes in. Um, so maybe we'll have to do a, a part, part two, three. Down, part three. Oh my gosh, down the road. But uh, yeah, thanks for sending in your questions. And we hope you're excited to hear from Dr. Viviana. Let's get into it. 
Woo. Okay. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to chat with you because last time I was, I don't know why I couldn't I you join. you were in Miami. I, yeah, I was out of town or something and I was so jealous that Christina got to have this amazing conversation with you. So thank you for coming back and being here with us. Oh, I'm so glad to talk with y'all. You know, we have some mutual friends in common mm-hmm. and we're all like just super lovey-dovey and female empowerment. And I just love it all. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Well, that is what we are all, all about. about. Yeah. After um, our last conversation, I literally had like hundreds of more questions to get through. I was like, oh my gosh, everyone. And even like this time around, we're like, how are we going to get through this? Everyone has so many questions for you. So it's so exciting. Yeah. So basically for the month of February, we're kind of doing like every episode is themed with like love and relationships. So you are kicking off the month and we couldn't think of someone better to kick things off with. So we asked our audience for like relationship questions that they had for you. So today is going to be just a Q&A going through our listeners' questions. And um, we are very eager to hear your advice and feedback for them. Okay. Should we just dive into the questions? Let's dive into it. Okay. Dr. Viviana, welcome back to the Confident Collective Podcast. Do you have no idea how excited we are to kick off our month of love with you? That's my month. (laughs) I love it. I love February. I love every month, but I totally love February. I feel like love is in the air, um, whether you have it or you want it. Exactly. And we couldn't think of a better person to kick things off with. Um, And we asked our audience for their most like pressing relationship love questions. Um, And we would love to hear your feedback because as we were going through these, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's such a good question. Like I've thought that in my past relationships and um, I think we're going to all learn a lot of valuable info. Absolutely. Um, And real quick, before we get into everything, Since February is the month of love and Valentine's Day is coming up, do you have any quick tips for people who are maybe spending the holiday solo? Because I feel like that gives a lot of pressure to people, whether they're in a relationship and they want to have like the best Valentine's Day ever, or if they're single and aren't in one and, you know, feel pretty lonely this time of year. Yeah, so I don't think that this should be the time to really focus on the pressure of celebrating Valentine's Day, but I do think it's about commemorating that love can show up in your life in all sorts of ways. So it's just about really celebrating and even commemorating the love that you do have. It doesn't have to be romantic love, but whatever you, whoever you do love, whoever you feel that that um, excitement for, the caring for, I think that's the person that you need to give a Valentine to. Oh, I love hopefully that. persons, right? Yeah, hopefully I love you have that. lots of people that you love and you're like handing them out left and right. But yeah, there's no pressure. And I think, you know, kind of going back to school age when you would give like Valentine's to friends and maybe even that special crush, it's little. It doesn't have to be anything big. It can be a sweet meme or a gif or whatever. Like it can be anything. Um, but it's just the thought that counts, I think. Dr. Viviana, I'm trying to get a diamond tennis joker, okay? I'm <laughs> <laughs> be like, sure, Steve, a card is fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I do think that's so true because when you are growing up, you do give Valentine's to so many people and you're right. Like it doesn't have to be something big. You're right. I'll tell but if Steve that. is listening, it would <laughs> be uh, the shape of a diamond tennis necklace. Yes, okay? absolutely. <laughs> Steve, doctor's orders, make it happen. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, let's just dive into these questions because I know we're not even going to get to all of them today, Um, but there are some that we really want to just jump right in. So first one, how do you have an honest conversation with your partner without judgment around the topic of money, spending habits, or debt? So I think the most important thing is when you're going into communicating about money that you know very clearly what your goals are, because lots of people have different habits or relationships with money, but if their goal is the same and you agree on that, it doesn't matter how you get there. It just matters that you get there. So a goal would be like, we want to save to buy a house in a couple of years. Like, how do we make sure we get to that together? Is like that what you mean? Like, we talk a little well, bit that more. would be like a huge, vague goal. We would need something more along the lines of, 
if we want to buy a house, what price range do we need? What down payment do we need? And when do we need to have that buy? So then you start working backwards. And then even, you know, somebody who has very different uh, spending style or saving style than you do, as long as you work back from the goal as far as timeline, I think that you'll be able to come up with something. Because I think it's so hard. Like in my past relationship, we had very different spending habits. I was much more of a spender and he was much more of like very frugal. And then what it led to was me like hiding things or lying or like rounding down with how much something costs because I was like, didn't want to upset him. But these like spending habits are like so ingrained. And I'm also like, well, you're just my boyfriend. Like, yes, we live together. But at the same time, like I'm not, I felt like I didn't owe that to him. So I think there's like so much it's complicated. And I think it leads to like bigger things. So I guess, what am I trying to ask here? Like, I I, like thinking about it back when I was in that space, like he couldn't even come to me and talk to me about money because I would just get so defensive. Like in that. It it sounds like the two of you didn't have any sort of established goal that you were working towards. So then it's just a matter of, I don't like something. Versus mm. this doesn't work. Those are two different things. So if you can get to a place where you're like, I can tell you don't like this, but is it because you have a goal that you don't think I'm working towards or that you don't, you haven't shared with me? Let's talk about that. Otherwise, it's just a matter of I'm not used to that. I don't like it. And in relationships, unless you married your twin, uh, even then, it's you're probably not going to have the exact same feelings and attitudes towards anything really, but especially money and, and spending habits. Mm. Do you find that there um, are more complications with like who's bringing in the money in partnerships? Like how to handle if like one partner is more successful talking about money and spending habits in that way? Mm-hmm. I think that it can be an issue depending on if you feel like there's a sense of control and power that goes along with making more money than the other person. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I find that lots of couples have a huge discrepancy in pay um, and income, but they have a lot of respect and they feel like they're very much supported and they feel like the reason that they're able to really focus on work is because they have such a supportive partner who's doing their job um, to help contribute to the entire income. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I actually feel like I grew up in a household where my mom was a stay-at-home mom and my dad worked full-time and supported the family financially. But I did see such a level of respect between the two of them because my dad could never in a million years do my mom's job and respected her so much for how she took care of the family. Um, But I do think that sometimes as like the traditional family mold of like men working and women staying home to raise the family is changing so much. I do find it's like a little bit harder for like relationships and to find that balance. Well, and you're right. There's a whole lot of just unspoken pressure on, you know, to have a two income household. I think if anything, people are like, when can the kids start working? We all need to make money here. But I think that when it comes to the traditional ways, um, respect is huge. Mm -hmm. And also if the person who knows about the money is the, also the person who is, um, controlling the money, who's making the money and they don't have open communication with their partner, then their partner is basically like, it's almost like if you were on a monkey bar and you don't know where the next rung is, mm-hmm. like they're, they're bound to mess up if they don't know what the budget is, if they don't know that you have savings goals or, or spending goals. Um, and if you don't talk about that openly, then the other person is just basically like, I'm just taking a leap of faith and believing that I'm not putting us into debt. Right. Um, and then when they do talk about it, they they oftentimes have no clue what kind of money they're actually working with. So I think a lot of it means if one person is making the income, then they it's on them even more so to make sure that their partner knows exactly what's going on with money, especially goals. Do you have, I just think this is like really important. I want to get like a little bit nitty gritty. So like to approach that conversation, because I think a lot of times these conversations happen where it's like, 
oh my gosh, you spent how much money on that? Like, oh, and then it blows up into a thing. Like, do you have, like, let's say someone wants to talk to their partner about it. Like, would you tell someone, okay, this is the time. This is how you could maybe phrase like, hey, I would love to sit down and like chat about our finances tomorrow. Are you in a place for that? Or I don't know if I'm just making this up, but for a, a way to like approach that situation, do you have any insight there? So I think two points that I often tell my clients to make pretty early on is that if they have any major debts, especially debts that are unexpected or that they've um, either incurred on themselves or they, you know, kind of somehow inherited, um, that that's something important to share. And it's more important that you share and have a plan for overcoming that debt so that it's not something that burdens your partner. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the other thing is that when you're having that conversation, which it, I think it should be a conversation, it isn't about, um, it shouldn't happen unless you're planning on building something together, right? So you don't think if you haven't committed to that. Okay. Interesting. It, yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, you, you don't, you don't owe anybody anything if you don't really have to consider any sort of partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, you can continue to do whatever you want to, however you want to, hopefully it's financially responsible, responsible. I think that's important. And if you need help with that, there's lots of people out there to help you to figure out what is fiscally responsible, but I don't think you owe that conversation to someone unless you have a plan on building a life together or a business together or a home together Mm. or investing in something together. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Okay. The next question is, I'm very tired of needing to reassure my partner of my feelings for him. Help. Yeah. Insecurity is so terrible in relationships Mm. and, and we all experience them to it, to a degree, but if they're, if they're perpetually showing up, there's something broken in the trust. And um, when someone says, I have to reassure my partner over and over again of my feelings, either you're not showing them in the way that they can see, or you're not showing them at all. So checking in with how do you show your partner and how do you uh, tell your partner? I would say more show. You know, how do you show your partner how important they are and that you are committed to them and that they can trust you? Because if you're not doing that at all, or if you're doing it in a way that just goes totally over their heads, then you're just wasting your time. Um, if they're experiencing insecurity that's left over from baggage from a previous relationship, encourage them to get help, encourage them to reach, you know, to get a couples therapist, an individual therapist, because it's not something that you can just wish away it is something that you need to work through. And it's often very hard to do that with a new partner who's either incurring new insecurities or who you feel like shouldn't be bothered by your insecurities. It is a relationship issue. And I think you need to address that in relationship therapy. So for someone who maybe this, you know, this person who asked it was the one doing the reassuring. But if you feel like and I guess maybe this is a little bit of attachment styles. If you feel like you have an anxious attachment style or insecure and you constantly need someone to be telling you like, I love you, I care about you and like checking in, like honestly, you would you would tell them you should probably seek therapy and, and yeah. like talk about this. Yes, because we live in a world that is constantly distracting us, uh, disturbing us, trying to pull us away that's just the way that life is. And the more you have going on, the more likely that that's going to continue for the rest of your relationship. Mm -hmm. So if you can't handle that, it's not going to get any better. You're only going to feel less and less connected to your partner as you grow and, or as they grow. Mm -hmm. So I I think it's really important that you address that. Super interesting that you're saying like you're only going to feel less and less connected as your partner. Something that I've been talking a lot about lately is how much I think relationships change after having a baby. My son is almost 14 months. He'll be 14 months when this comes out. And I was like, damn, my relationship is like just different. And it's not necessarily worse. It's not better. It's just different. And honestly, I, I kind of thought I was alone in feeling this way until I started opening up to like my other mom friends. And I was like, holy shit, everyone feels like this? Like, why isn't anyone talking about it? Um, 
And if you're in a committed relationship and you plan to be with someone, like I hope to be with my husband for the rest of my life, you know? So, so many years, so many things change. Do you have like any advice for couples who are new parents who are kind of going through this big transition with their first child? Yeah, I do, because you're right. This is a very common issue. I can't think of anyone, myself included, who has not had to deal with the transition from non-parent to parent um, without a struggle. I think that for a lot of us, especially moms, I'm just going to call us out. Mm -hmm. We are really guilty of experiencing pressure, whether it's internal or external, to switch hats from wife or partner to mom. And it's very difficult for a lot of women, I would say the majority of women, to wear both hats at the same time. Interesting. And because our kids seem so like helpless and, you know, they are to an extent, especially (laughs) at the beginning. Um, We feel like our partners don't need us, quote unquote, but our kids do. And so we feel every piece of us saying, mom, 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 that's what I am. That's my new identity. And then we dip into wifeyhood every once in a while. Um, But that is a huge issue. I I will flat out tell you, I think it's one of the main reasons that people get divorced um, is within the, you know, the first two years of having a kid. It's because they switch identities. And and I'm going to tell you, we as women are the culprits most of the time. We switch our identities and we expect our partners to be completely okay with that. And when their experience of going from non-parent to parent is completely different than ours, we feel like we're not with the right person. Um, And that's not the case. It's just that we've swung too far. And fortunately I was able, you know, as a therapist, I can kind of foresee these things. And I did a practice, like my clinical project on this stuff. So I, I was able to avoid the pitfalls, but I see it all the time. And I can see the pool that we have towards mom, 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 and moving away from wifeyhood. But that's our fault. And I think that most people, if I could give them one piece of advice is do not lose sight of the fact that you were a couple first Mm -hmm. and you will hopefully be a couple forever. Um, And you can be both without losing one or the other. Okay. So you've just said like so many things. I'm like trying not to get emotional, but okay. One, the thing that you said about like identities, I've been saying since I had my baby, I feel like I'm having an identity crisis. Like I don't know who I am Mm -hmm. anymore. But so how do you navigate that and how do you make sure that you're not falling too far into like mom territory and you're still present as a wife? Like, are there tangible things that I could do that our listeners can do that any woman out there wants to make sure they can avoid um, like these relationship issues? What can they do? So it's kind of controversial, um, but as an intimacy expert, this is this is what I find works. I think you need to start off by making minimal changes to like minimal changes to your everyday life for the, for the purpose of raising a child. Now I know a lot of you are like, well, what, how's that possible? There are so many things that you have to do to keep a child alive. There's so many things that you have to do to keep a real, you know, your emotional health and your child's emotional health healthy and happy and positive, um, don't do all the other extra stuff. Don't try to win an award that doesn't Mm -hmm. exist. Like do the minimum, make the minimum change, the minimal changes so that you can preserve your relationship and you can preserve your marriage. I think so many people are like, oh my gosh, I'm a mom now. And I'm going to win all the awards and I'm going to do everything that my parents didn't. And I'm going to do all of this within the first three months. And then it turns into three years and then it turns into 13 years. And it's like, no, you don't have to try to reach for Mount Everest. Like it doesn't have to be that way. But so many people, especially moms, are guilty of doing that. So I would say if you can see what you can get away with 
and see what, you know, as far as like, you don't want to feel like you're neglecting anybody. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about, but in neglecting yourself and neglecting your marriage, you are setting up your family for disaster. You really are. And you'll get that thing that you don't want, which is a broken family. Mm-hmm. So be mindful of that and try to make the minimal changes. Super interesting. I do think that you're right. Every mom out there is almost trying to be like the best mom. Like I don't hear anyone really saying I want to be like the best wife. Saying you want to be the best wife. I've heard people groan and like Mm -hmm. mumble and like roll their eyes. Almost like that's a passing fad. You don't need to be a good wife. Like almost like it sounds like it's a derogatory statement. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason that most people choose to have kids is because they do have a solid relationship that they want to you know, at least for healthy reasons, that they do want to have that and grow their family. Mm -hmm. So how does it make sense to say, all right, now that I'm (laughs) knocked up, bye. You know, like it's not going to work out in the long term. Totally. Thank you. I think that's really good advice. Well, and I will just add on a little bit. Um, My parents, uh, they were the ones that really started to instill that in me, even in my brother, even as children, they were like, Cause we're like, where y'all are going out again. Y'all are going to go hang out again. What about us? And, you know, I mean, we're teenagers and, and they're like, oh yeah, we have date nights. That's what we do. And we're like, oh, well, can't you take us? They're like, no, <laughs> because guess what? In a few years, you're going to have your own date nights and you're going to go off and we need to be wanting to do this forever. So they always said like, I love y'all. We love y'all, but we love each other more. And we will always love each other more. I love that. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, that's bold. But my kids have been going like on 50 years together. So they got something right. That's so one of my best friends, her parents used to tell that to her. And when she told me that I was like, shocked. Yeah, shocked because I had never for so long, I feel like being a good woman is like being, you know, a selfless woman is what we were taught. And so exactly, you start neglecting yourself, you neglect your relationships, because you're just focusing on like, especially when you have kids, like being a good mom. And like, obviously, that's admirable. But what's even more admirable is being able to take care of yourself and your relationships. And like, honestly, what a happier home it would be, you know, if the parents are so in love, in love, and like, take investing in their relationship. It's like the oxygen mask, right? It's like, put it on yourself before you help others. Now that said, everybody's situation and everybody's child or children have different needs. So if there is something that requires more energy in order to keep them alive and healthy, then you have to do that first, right? But I'm talking about the minimum based off of what you have going on. Of course. Totally. Um, something else that we've received so many questions about, and I did not realize like this was such a huge issue, but obviously, especially if you're in a longer term relationship is talking about like libidos and different sex drives and how to handle if you're in a relationship and either your partner has a higher sex drive than you, or if you're the one who's always initiating and you have a higher sex drive and you don't feel fulfilled. So this is one of the reasons that I wrote my book, The Four Intimacy Styles, because I've had so many clients who have sexual desire discrepancy. And that's just a fancy way of saying that you have two different libidos. And um, what I have found is that it helps to know what your motivation is for sex and sexuality. It helps you to understand why it's important for your partner and why it's important for you and why it should be present in your relationship. So if you can understand your motivation for it and you can understand the purpose, then you're more likely to want it to be present in your relationship in the long term. Let's just assume that everyone who's paired up or thruppled up or whatever you have going on is going to have a different level of desire for sex at any given point, right? I mean, we're talking about two completely different people um, across the lifespan with different experiences, different long, you know, different histories, all of them. It's not going to be the same. So let's assume that that's just not even possible. But understanding why it's important and understanding the investment that it has in your long-term relationship can help you to more you know, to plan for it, to want it to be an active part of your relationship. So if there's a way 
for the two of you to discuss your intimacy style and how to make it grow into and, and have it round out. That's what I call it. And you can have 25% of each of the styles, it's bonding, responsive, giving and release. If you can have 25% of each of those, then I posit that you will be able to handle whatever comes your way sexually because each of the experiences that you do have are going to be fulfilling for both you and your partner. Dang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, so w- when you said at the beginning, the basically, I, I don't want, I'm going to mess up what you said. Okay. W- when you said you need to figure out what you want to get from it, right? The motivation, I think you said was the word you yes. used. Mm-hmm. What? What so I guess were those four intimacy styles that is the motivation of wanting to have sex with your partner? Each of those four styles is a major motivator for having sex and for having sexuality be a part of your relationship. Okay, uh, a lot of people don't realize that they're very much one or the others, um, and it's it puts them in a position to where their needs are only being met a percentage point of the time that they have sex because they're not getting a little bit of all of them. And, and so then all of a sudden that's when you get people who are like, I just don't like it. Like, I just don't, I don't see how my partner can want it so much. I'm just not getting much out of it. Or, you know, it's only, I can tell you that there's, there's been like five times where it's just been fantastic. And there was something very specific about those situations that made them feel fulfilled. So I'm like, okay, guys, let's take the four major motivators. And if you can get a little bit of each of those in each experience, then you don't have to worry about falling short. And can you repeat the four things again? Yes. It's bonding, release, giving, and responsive. So like bonding would be like wanting to cuddle after sex or something like that. So bonding is actually less about the affectionate way of thinking about bonding. It's more about the emotional connection that comes from, or that can come from experiencing sexuality together. So it's that feeling of, wow, I'm doing this with someone who's special to me, who makes me feel special, who, you know, we just shared something or are going to share something that we only do with each other. It's sacred. Um, it's unique to us. We don't do it with anyone else. And it's a way to play. It's kind of that sense of like, it's just us and it bonds the two of us. But is there like, I feel like I'm a kind of person I could have sex like every single day of the week. Like, whereas my last partner wasn't that way is, does that come down to just like, how much is it just like natural, like sex drive? Or is it really all kind of about that more, what the, that motivation. So one of the motivators that it sounds like you're kind of, when you feel that physiological release that you're like, you're kind of euphoric yes. looking forward to it. You're like, Oh my gosh, this is going to feel so good. I'm going to like, my tension is going to release. You might use it almost like a pacifier at times, or mm. maybe it wakes you up and you're like, Oh, I just, I just feel like I'm, I just feel good in my body. Yeah. It's, it, it's not necessarily always orgasm, but it's still that like rise in arousal and stimulation. It just, the whole thing feels so good. Yeah. Imagine that you're like really into quickies because you're getting that release, but it's not necessarily doing something that you couldn't do on your own with solo play. Mm -hmm. So you might want to have sex every day, but you really need to figure out why it's important to you and what it, what itches it scratching and what can it do if like, what is it actually investing in your relationship? Okay. And what about for how would she convince like her partner to be as into sex as she is? So that's where, again, finding, rounding out your intimacy style, ask him like, Hey, when you feel like sex is what you think it should be, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. When do you feel like you've gotten the most out of a sexual experience? And to make it easier, there's a quiz. <laughs> you can go online. Yeah. It's a fourintimacystyles.com. It's also in my book. You can take the quiz together separately, obviously, and it'll give you the percentage of each of the styles that you're at with and lots of tips on how you can get it to about a quarter of each. So it rounds it out. Okay. I need to take this quiz. Um, <laughs> so I, what is your partner? Yes. 
Well, I need to get a study partner first, but that's beside, besides the point. Uh, <laughs> um, another question that we received is, my partner wants to have an open relationship. How can I tell if I can do that emotionally? So there's something called compersion. Compersion? It's C-O-M-P, yes, compersion. C-O-M-P-E-R-S-I-O-N. And it's the ability to feel truly happy for a partner when they're experiencing sexual pleasure from someone else. For the, for the sake of what we're saying, that's what it is. Um, and it is not a quality or an attitude that most people have in our culture. So if you cannot experience compersion, an open relationship is just going to be a stepping stone to breaking up. So whoever asked this, <laughs> find out how would you feel if your partner was truly experiencing joy and pleasure with someone else and it had nothing to do with you? Damn. I would now that's different, right? You both kind of were like, what? Yeah. That is different than saying, and I'm not having it either. Mm-hmm. So in an open relationship, ideally, everyone's experiencing the highs, right? You're experiencing the good stuff, the healthy stuff. Um, You're experiencing sexual pleasure, emotional pleasure, connection, and all of that with all of your different relationships. So it's not saying I want them to have it with someone else. And, but I'll be upset if, if, even if they're having that with me, it, does that make sense? I don't know that I was clear about that, but let me, let me say that again. So in an open relationship, you have compersion if you're able to say, yes, my partner and I are doing well, but I feel just as excited or even more excited when they are experiencing sexual pleasure with someone else and getting their needs met with someone else. It doesn't feel like a threat to me. And it doesn't need to be like, I also need to be experiencing that same sexual pleasure with someone else. Like you, you can be happy right. for them oftentimes, even if you're not experiencing that too. Right, oftentimes- Um, There are different ways and different styles of open relationships. Sometimes it's completely one-sided where one person is, you know, they have set out kind of and negotiated the boundaries and limitations and, and, um, and openness, right. Degree of openness with someone else. It can, it can sometimes only be sexual. It can sometimes only be emotional. It can sometimes be friendship that you then turn into something more, but, the, the open part of it is that it could do that without you having like it implode your relationship. So is so, compersion something you either have or you don't have? Like you can't learn to be that way. You're just kind of like wired that way. Well, I'll tell you as a therapist who works with couples who have opened their relationships or who have open ones and are experiencing issues outside of the open stuff, that's sometimes not even an issue. It's very difficult it's not like on the job training. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it's something that you have to have really thought about, learned about. Um, there are lots of, in, you know, resources. Um, there are people that you know, you know that that would be able to explain to you, like, hey, this is what it's like. This is what it feels like. Prior to going and jumping into the deep end, I would suggest spending a lot of time in the kiddie pool mm-hmm. researching. Mm-hmm. I do not think I'd be comfortable with that. Yeah. I mean, that's good advice. I mean, as someone who's dating, the amount of people I see on like dating apps now who are in open relationships, it's like, it's, I feel like it's becoming much more common common than before. Or maybe people are just talking about it more. I'm not sure, but what inclines, I know we're getting a little bit, I'm just curious, what inclines people to be like, we want to open our relationship. Is there any trends or common themes that you see? Common themes that I see in my office or that they aren't feeling like their partners can really fulfill all of their needs. Okay. Like they don't feel like putting all of their eggs in one basket is actually working for them. And it actually creates a lot of pressure and a burden, both emotionally and physically and financially on one person. So they're like, Hey, so they, they're like, I don't want to put that extra burden on you. I don't want to, to deteriorate what we have and have it break apart. I want to preserve it, but I know I need more. So let's figure out a way to get that more in a way that works for us. And that's hope. Not, I wish they came in even before they had the conversation so I could help them through it. But 
um, a lot of them come in to talk about like, what could that look like and what would happen? Uh, other things that happen is just that people are like, they want to be able to have multiple sexual partners and have it not be an issue. So that's, so, I mean, that's not technically what an open relationship is, but that's what a lot of people think it is. Do you find more and more couples, like Rayanne said, that she feels like more and more people on the dating apps like want open relationships? Do you feel like in your office um, and just in the work that you do, you feel, find that a lot more people are leaning towards open relationships as well? Yes. Um, I don't know for sure if it is one of two reasons. One would be that I think a lot of people just are, they've been cheated on so much. They just don't want to have the betrayal of expecting exclusivity and not getting it. So then they just say like, I'm open to open. Cause then at least we know wow, <laughs> what's actually happening and they're not feeling duped or lied to. The other thing is that I think people are just starting to realize it takes a village to get your needs met. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like you don't go to one doctor for everything. Right. You don't mm -hmm. go to one salon for everything. And I think people are starting to kind of relay that onto their relationships too. So are you seeing that open relationships have been successful and beneficial for two people? I, well, <laughs> it's different because from my purview, I'm getting people who are struggling Right. And, you know, people who come into my office are not like, woohoo, we're super happy with that. Um, they're usually struggling with it. Right. Um, that's, that's not to say that there aren't many, many hundreds, maybe thousands of couples out there that are experiencing all of the wonderful things that an open relationship can bring. But mm -hmm. it's just so tricky. I mean, think about it's it's complex. It's tricky. Some people are up for the challenge and some people aren't. And it takes yeah. extremely, extremely open honest, transparent communication. Mm -hmm. And if that's not something you can have within two people, it's probably not going to happen with three or four or five. Totally. That makes sense. Interesting. Okay. I have another question. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Someone said, I found my boyfriend's spank bank and it hurts. I'm not a skinny Instagram model. How do we come back from this? Hmm. Well, I think it's important for them to understand that I don't think we have one template of what turns us on. Mm -hmm. I mean, if she was to be honest with herself, she's probably been turned on by all sorts of stuff that she didn't even <laughs> think would be a turn on and turned off by stuff that maybe she thought would be. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, first of all, I think that that's a really private thing um, and she found it, but just know like he's got a whole other Rolodex going on um, and another album happening in his head that <clears throat> maybe doesn't look like any of those pictures in there. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't look too far into that just because I feel like, you know, if he's 20, 30, 40 years old, he's probably experienced attraction to 30, 40 different types of women, men. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that could happen. Do you feel so like, I guess long story short, my tip would be um, just because he finds particular pictures exciting to look at, it doesn't mean that that's the only thing he's into. Do you think couples should have an open, uh, open conversation about things that turn them on and like maybe what they're visualizing or fantasizing about? Yes, I absolutely think that they should do that. And if they have trouble with that, or if one person feels like it's not going to go well, or they're scared, that's, what we do in our offices as sex therapists, like we're able to facilitate those um, conversations, especially if you're into something very kinky or something that's kind of more fringe, mm -hmm. um, you might want a little bit more support with education. Do you find that most partners that are in committed relationships, when they're talking about what they're fantasizing about, it's about the other partner or is it something completely different or someone completely different? I would say ask most men or women and nine times out of 10, they are fantasizing about their partners. Mm -hmm. um, but they might find that a little bit of novelty kind of strikes hotter every once in a while. But most of the time people are, they're just into what they know. Mm -hmm. Now, unless they are in like really in deep when it comes to, you know, porn online, or they're just always getting into deeper, deeper, different, different, 
Um, those are cycles that are hard to get out of, and you definitely want to get professional help to do that. But otherwise, if they're just fantasizing, it's usually not anything too crazy. I don't know. I took a BDSM quiz once and there was some wild stuff on there. People are in some crazy stuff, but no judgment, <laughs> no judgment. Safe, sane, consensual. Yes. That's all that matters. Yes. Doesn't have to float your boat. <laughs> I'm I like, no, that. I don't want to be put in a cage for three days. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want to be fucked by a horse. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was what was okay, on this. Well, that's that's not sexuality. That's a bestiality. That's yes. that's not okay. There's no consent there. So <laughs> you're right. Cool. You're right. Gosh. Okay. Um. So another question. I know my fiance loves and adores me, but he doesn't show it. Is this normal? I want to accept him as he is, but I would love more affection. He doesn't show me or tell. Wait, what was it? He doesn't show or tell? He doesn't show it. So she feels what I, yeah, she feels like she knows he loves her, but he doesn't show it. I'm kind of thinking this maybe is like, he's just not showing it in the right way. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he's not. Yeah, like it sounds like when beautiful and like stuff like that. Well, remember, I mean, the five love languages are out there and amazing for a reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this, this listener or viewer needs to definitely check out the five love languages and and like beg their partner to take it. It's like takes no more than 20 minutes. So um, make sure that he takes it because chances are he, if you know, he loves you, he just probably isn't speaking your love language. Mm -hmm. And men are so good about like, Hey, just show me the path. Like just show me what to do and I'll do it. Because I'm sure he doesn't feel good knowing that he feels like, or that she feels that he doesn't show her love. He's probably like, yes, I do. I just show you in this way, this way, this way, this way. Not that way, that way, that way, that way. Right. So he doesn't know what she really needs. Yeah. If ever, if you're listening and you haven't read the five love languages or taken the quiz, you 100% should. We've got a lot of quizzes we need to take. Yeah. It's um, styles, love <laughs> language, styles and then the love languages. We've got the emotional side and the physical side. And you got to have both. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. What are some tips for when your partner has depression? I don't know how I can help him. Well, everyone's experience of depression is unique. So your partner is probably the best person to share what kind of support and help that he or she needs. I also think it's important that there's there's a difference between um, somebody who is who's in a depressive state versus somebody who is down or experiencing like dysphoria or dysthymia, anything like that. So I think getting more information from your partner about what it is that they're experiencing and whether or not there's a cause or a trigger that you can be a part of helping to decrease is really important. Uh, Always, always, always encouraging your partner to get help from a professional, whether it's through medication or therapy or the best situation is both for um, depression. So uh, encouraging that encouraging walks, encouraging, you know, health, basically physical health. And, and it's going to be a good way for you to be a part of their experience of lowering their depression. Okay. Our last question, which I think a lot of people have been dealing with since 2020, a lot of people were moving and changing where they felt like they wanted to be. How to compromise on where we are going to live or where we end up buying a long-term home? Mm. Well, the the boring answer is what can you afford? Start there because that'll already help you to funnel out so many different places. The other thing is what kind of lifestyle, like it's all about like livelihood and lifestyle are you able to flourish in? Mm -hmm. Um, Especially if you have very different careers and professional lives. I mean, I know that it's, it's tough to say it, but I, it all really comes down to what can you afford and what's going to give you the lifestyle that you are happy about. And that allows you to have the long-term plans and goals that you, that you set out for. So start off with a budget because that'll help you to narrow things down quite a bit. And then if you envision that your lifestyle should have close family or friends, then you might have to decide to be closer to them. Um, But if that's not the case, then the sky's the limit. So interesting because I'm going through this right now where I'm like, we live in Los Angeles, but our family's back East. And it's, it's really, really hard trying to figure out 
what you actually want, what is best for you and your partner and your immediate family life, and what's best for your family life as a whole, if that makes any sense. Yes. Yes. I, I, know, I, yeah. I will say, yeah, I think that it's important for people to consider a support system. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not one trick ponies anymore. Like the way that we live our lives now is so varied and, um, and it's so transient. Like there's just so many, so many changes that can happen. So if you can have a support system to build a base from and have a foundation from, then you're more likely to be able to tap into the variety of who you are, your different identity points and all of that. But if, um, if you don't, then truly you're going to have to pay for the support system. And, and I can tell you, most people really struggle with being away from a healthy support system and doing it on their own and would, if they could choose, would prefer to be with their support system. Mm, such good advice. Makes you listen to this podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. We had so many questions and we just appreciate you giving us your time and your insight um to kick off this month of like relationships and and all this good stuff so we so appreciate you i know i learned a lot i learned so much honestly thank you so much i i feel i feel like a sense of clarity after our conversation and i hope all of our listeners can feel that as well Oh, I hope so too. And I, I, I know that there's a lot of deep topics that we've talked about, but I think it's really great that you're able to put this in a format that lots of people can digest and listen again and again and take notes. Absolutely. Thank you so yes. much, Dr. Viviana. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes on our website, theconfidentcollective.com and find us on Instagram at Confident Collective. And if you really loved what you heard, screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it in your stories and don't forget to tag us.